This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Welcome in. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Jeremy Thompson, owner of Computer Doctors and Phone Surgeons in Hattiesburg, and Wilts Contreras, IT expert at New Core Steel and IT instructor at Holmes Community College. I'm your host, Jay White, and we welcome you in on this Wednesday morning, September 18th, our uh, episode of uh, Everyday Tech this week. As always, uh, the tech world continues to move uh, slowly at the speed of light. I know that didn't make any sense, but uh, each week the slowly technology at the speed of light. I'm, I'm, I'm liking this one. Okay. All right, every each week uh, the 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 new stories that come out and the and the advances that we're making. And I don't. It's I, I'm sure it it is always like this, but you know, kind of taking a canvas um, uh, view of everything going on in the tech world. It's fascinating to see how much amazing stuff we are on the cusp of seeing. And I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's probably all, it winds up being staggered in a way so that it doesn't seem like so many amazing things are happening all at once. But man, when you read about what is, what is possible, what people are working on and what is in not such the distant future, it really is an exciting time. And we'll get into some of that today. Um, um, Wilts, welcome back. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's uh, it's it's been a minute or two. It it's like I've been moving slowly at the speed of light over the last few weeks. It's a t-shirt now. Yeah, I mean, well, I, I did have to go ahead and make, make it's a note, and I have attributed it and put it down. You know, Jay White on this day because uh, it will be a meme at some point. It needs to be right. I'm sure. Well, I'm sure somebody has said that already. Maybe like a football coach or something like that. Uh, but. Uh, well, you had the 6 a.m. wake-up call to to come and fix something, right? Oh, yeah. You know, the computers were not very happy this morning. They didn't want to wake up this morning like I did either. So, yeah. Uh, you know, hump day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, yeah, I'm biting my tongue on that one, Jeremy. But, yeah, yeah, definitely. No, yeah, this morning, uh, you know, some of my... Some of my computers at the office decided they didn't want to play very well with other children, but you know, luckily before the show, before I had to leave for the show, everybody's back up and happy right now. It's amazing. One little, one little bitty device can cause so much havoc. Right, so, right. Bottleneck. Exactly, exactly. So this afternoon I'll be eliminating bottlenecks slowly <laughs> at the speed, at the speed of light. Speed of light. <laughs> oh boy, here we go. Oh, I'm totally using this one for a while now. I'm I'm liking this. So the Big Apple uh, reveal last week. You saw that? Uh, any kind of initial impressions? Uh, hmm. Yeah, Wilts, um, you're you're our pro iPhone guy, so <laughs> tell us what's good. Well, actually, I was telling Jay uh, before the show, I've actually been disconnected from tech the last few weeks. While I haven't been in here, I've been kind of cranking through other stuff, so I haven't gotten to read a lot on it. The main thing I knew that was going to be coming, the camera, I have to admit, that looks a little bit goofy. Um, you know, the whole three <laughs> lens thing. Oh, the pro camera? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's... that's um, but, you know, they say the most popular point-and-click camera now in the world is the smartphone. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone's always got one. With I use the heck out of mine. 
Um, kind of more so, I'm a little bit really interested in some of the iOS 13 stuff that's coming out, probably a little bit more so than the phone. I'm not just kind of... Uh, I, I got to still dig under the hood a little bit and, and learn a little bit more, yeah. but I'm kind of liking they're finally bringing some dark mode stuff in there, make it a little bit easier on the eyes. Uh, I'm real curious about this whole thing, the uh, the new charging that it's going to be doing. It's going to it's going to learn when you normally are taking your phone off charge in the morning, for example, and it'll only charge you to eighty percent and stop. And Ooh. then it's supposed to like you know resume in enough time so that when you wake up and pull it off the charger generally you're at 100 percent. they're saying it's going to help battery life yeah you know that's the thing and that that hits that hits all these devices especially phones nowadays we all want more battery life so i'm kind of uh i'm gonna be a little bit uh missouri on that one they're gonna have to show me but i'm kind of curious on that (laughs) very nice so uh, that's about the uh the charge cycles on it you know when you take a battery from uh empty to full it puts a cycle on the battery this will reduce the amount of cycles, so it will actually reduce the aging of the battery itself. All right, so Jeremy, right there, that's something. It's and I don't know if it's how much how much is it of it is truth or myth, but I'm sure you're about to tell me. I've heard people say as soon as you get a phone the first time, you need to let the battery run all the way out and then charge it all the way back up, and that's supposed to do some sort of such and whatnot. And then there's like I've heard people say you don't let it run all the way out, and then you don't charge it all the way up. What what is I mean, you kind of I think you kind of sort of alluded to that right there. But can you source there's those so myths many. out to a certain extent? So <laughs> when it comes when it comes to discharging your battery fully, you you never want to run it down to the point where your phone turns itself off. That actually can damage the battery. Uh, as far as charging it goes. Um, when you when you go from 15% up to 100%, you just put one cycle on your battery. So if you charge it at, say, 50% up to 80% or up to 100%, that's not a full cycle. So it, it, it extends the longevity of the battery. Now, as far as running it down and charging it all the way back up, that's more for the software in the phone to figure out where zero and where 100% are so it can estimate what your battery life is but the battery itself doesn't need you to do that now if you're storing it you never want to store it with 100 percent charge on it you never want to store it with less than 50 percent charge on it that way once you come back to it it still has some life in it uh lithium batteries kind of a mixed bag whenever you leave them for a while we've had some where you know somebody will say oh you know i damaged my screen on my ipad and I put it in a closet for a year, and now I'm getting it fixed. And I'm like, okay, well, if it comes on, you know, we'll, we'll get that fixed for you. Uh, and sometimes we have to leave the iPad on the charger for a day or two before wow. it will actually start to charge. So it's, it's it, like I said, it's kind of a mixed bag. So you want to make sure that you don't let your batteries discharge and you don't store them when they, are, uh, when they have very little charge on them. Yeah, and that and that part that he was mentioning about, like, you know, whenever you first get one and the software really kind of learning your battery's limits, it's kind of like, you know, for the cars now that have the miles to empty. Yeah. You know, over time, your your technology devices, too, they kind of figure out your mileage, basically, of how much you have left for things. So that's what it's trying to learn is it's trying to learn what is your mileage going to be with your usage. My wife drives that to zero and then for, like, another day, and it drives me insane oh yeah if it's below a quarter tank i mean once you hit to that quarter needle i'm like i'm almost like panicking well i mean i i i'm i'm not necessarily panicking at at that point but when it for me when it gets down to like 15 
or so. I'm like, okay, I need to get some gas. Oh my gosh, I'd have a coronary. No, right. I mean, well, like, imagine, I don't like going below 100. Well, imagine waking up in the morning, <laughs> getting in the car, and it says zero, and you're like, well, this could go out at any time. And she's like, no, no. You got a full day You've with got that. Like a half a day left. I'm like, half a what day? Half a driving to Chicago day, or half a going around the corner day? Anyway, yep. I have this paranoia. If it's below 100, I'm like freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> So you're the yep. guy. One of my one of my uh, best friends growing up. His grandfather never let a car park below a quarter tank. Correct. He yes. would fill in a quarter tank every time. Which I'm like, yeah, you know what? Smart. That's I mean, hey, if if you have the the discipline to do that, more power to you. That's fantastic. And but the rest say, of us here in the real world drive the thing past the orange part at the very bottom. And when the yeah, light comes on, <laughs> the rationale is, and we're getting over into autocorrect territory now. Right. Allison's going to come jump on the show. Uh, it's that it's bad for your fuel pump if you go below a quarter of a tank. So fuel pumps are expensive. So once you rationalize it like that, it's like, oh, okay, well, I don't want to buy one of those, so I'll just fill the tank back up. Well, then you have uh, moisture comes into play. Like I have, you know, having a vintage car, I don't drive much. That that seventy one Beetle that I have, you want to keep it fairly full. Because uh, moisture would have a hard, you know, they tell you, you know, it'd be condensation and everything else in the tank. So you're kind of minimizing that. Um, another thing, if you're storing it for a long time, you got to put stabilizers into it. I mean, yeah, yeah. We're getting way over into the car side. I know, but, yeah, right? I, but, I am, <laughs> but I am that guy, and I'm more of a, if it's sitting there, it's going to have at least a half a tank. Yeah. <laughs> I changed my rear record. brake pads one time. That was a good month. <laughs> <laughs> got a got a car coming to my shop today that I'm going to work on, but I'm working on the Bluetooth on it. So ah. get that fixed up. Get into the auto territory, though. I get an 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 un uh, an, an irrational amount of requests to connect phones to car Bluetooths, and, oh, and yeah. I'm like, well, okay, I guess I'm that guy. But whatever. Uh, okay. And it's fairly, it's it's <laughs> yeah. When they don't work, though, it's really aggravating. It sure is. You know, I end up with a with traveling some with work i end up with a lot of you know just different rental cars first thing i want to do is like link up my phone to it but mm -hmm. then i'm also that same guy who has that paranoia of i've got to erase it at the end because every time i've ever went into a rental car it's like oh here's oh Joe yeah, 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 and yeah bill and all history and yeah. text messages and all that yeah. Oh, yeah you'd be amazed what people will mm -hmm. leave behind on there their phone their the entire phone list yes so. absolutely i've i know yep. exactly where you're coming from there all right uh jeremy what's going on in your uh, tech world the last week or so what are you looking at what are you interested in what's been going on uh mostly just been uh building more computers for people and, and just resolving little bitty tech issues uh you know i do remote support calls a lot so people call me and they say hey i can't bring my computer to you so i'll just connect to it over the internet and resolve whatever issue they have makes my life easier makes their life easier um it's uh, it's amazing what what I can do, you know, just right here from my office, almost like I'm sitting in front of the computer. There are times where I do have to, you know, go and do something physically, but for the most part, if it gets on the internet and it if it turns on and it gets on the internet, I could probably fix it from where I'm sitting. All right, uh, we were talking about iOS uh, 13 just a moment ago. Um, they've already found a bug in it. Actually, this was a little bit less than a week ago. Um, Stop the presses. <laughs> uh, iOS 13 bug lets you access contacts without unlocking your phone. Well, that's fun. Uh, a new bug discovered as a major privacy flaw, first reported by um, Jose Rodriguez, good for him, 
He reported the issue to Apple in July, but the bug still works on the Gold Master version of iOS 13, uh, which is expected to be released on September 19th. The Verge website uh, reports that the new bug allows users to exploit an issue with the lock screen, allowing them to bypass having to unlock their phone and access their full list of contacts on the phone, as well as the details for each individual contact. That includes the names, phone numbers, and emails. So um, that's something that they'll have to work on, but that's okay because um, Apple seems uh, to think that they're going to have the address, the uh, issue addressed uh, in uh, 13.1, uh, which is expected to arrive to the public September 30th. So there you so- go. I'd say the the problem is pretty well contained, which is why Apple's, you know, not just jumping on getting that fixed because even though someone could access your contacts, they don't have full access to your phone. Of course, they'll patch it in a later version, but I can see why they would kind of gloss over that and say, "Eh, that's, you know, we'll get to that, but that's not our main focus right now." All right, before we take our first break, let's take our first call, and that is Margaret, who's on the phone in Starkville. Margaret, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I was listening to your talk about the uh, uh, tech on the car that tells you how much range you've got left. Uh, I tend to keep that display showing on my dashboard and uh, typically will fill up, especially if I'm on a road trip, uh, when I get a little below a half a tank or approximately down to a three-quart to the quarter tank mark. There's one trip I make regularly that does take exactly three-quarters of a tank. So I fill up at the other end of the trip. But buzzing around town where there is a gas station practically on every third uh, street corner, uh, I will let the range uh, marker go way down occasionally. Um, um, Like earlier this week, I filled up when it said I had 35 miles of range left, and the little gas pump light on the dashboard was lit up. The lowest I've ever taken was down to 11 miles Uh before I got gas. Uh, I don't do that, but maybe once or twice a year. Right, just right. See, <laughs> just kind of to see, okay, how much more can I squeeze out? But, yeah, normally I do fill up anywhere between half and quarter indicated left on it. I did not know about the uh, danger to the fuel pump for typically running it down below a quarter of a tank. I will keep that in mind in the future. All right, Margaret, we appreciate the call this morning. Thanks for starting us off. See, on the on the road trip part, Margaret Margaret's one of my people. I get that. But once she said the 35, I think I almost, you know, you, it's like. You had uh, a Fred Sanford moment. Oh, right I did. There. It's like, this is going to be the big one. It's like, oh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll tell you this. Don't assume that your state and U.S. highways work the same way as interstates do. You know, in interstates, you take that Ever. exit. And there are like 15 gas stations, like about a, mm-hmm. a tenth of a mile off the interstate. On the highways, buddy, like particularly Highway 61 between Vicksburg and the Delta, ain't a thing. It says Not like bad. it says Hollandale, turn right. Yeah, you turn right to get to Hollandale, but Hollandale ain't right there. It's like another 15 miles off the road. I learned that the hard way. We'll take our <laughs> first break. Learned. Right, you can call us one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We'll be back.
This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. It's Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Wiltz, Jeremy, I'm Jay. Sorry, something slipped off the microphone here. Whoops. All right. You can call us 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Plenty still yet to dig into today. Last week was a very Apple-heavy show. Of course, they released like 923 products and services. Uh, for the three different phones, <laughs> for all, <laughs> one with three cameras, the the uh, the Mega Pro Max, super duper uber version, um, and now this week, uh, or I guess over the last week or so, maybe it was well, it was last Thursday, so it was the day after last week's show, the Google Pixel Four XL. Um, had um, or essentially it was leaked to the public. Jeremy, did you get a chance to to see or look at any of that? So I haven't really looked too much at the uh, the Pixel. Um, interesting fact, though, a good friend of mine actually helped work on it. Uh, he told me like uh, back at the beginning of summer, he's like, I know exactly what the Pixel Four looks like. I know everything about it. I was like, that's so cool. But he, of course, couldn't tell me anything because of non-disclosure agreements. Well, Why somebody not? failed to look But it's up. cool. <laughs> it's cool to know that the secret was right there in his head. How about he knew. that? That's pretty nice, yeah. though. It's pretty cool, yeah. He uh, he does a lot of prototyping and stuff. Uh, he's manufacturing for uh, lots of companies in Silicon Valley, but he recently moved back. And, uh, yeah, he's done optics and all kinds of cool stuff. So he's, he's kind of giving me little bitty... You know, little tidbits here and there, but nothing substantial. But as far as Google's new phone, I haven't seen a whole lot on it. I do see that the uh, the camera on the back looks sort of familiar. Um, we got that triple square thing going on again that looks like eyes on a stove. So um, that may just be the new <laughs> thing, you know? I guess so. Um, th- there are some reports about... Uh, well, Google themselves, after this got leaked, they went ahead and revealed some of the uh, details about the forthcoming Pixel 4, uh, including a motion sensor. Uh, it will include a motion sense feature on the phone, and that's in caps. That's a proper noun. Uh, copyrighted, I'm sure, or something like that. Uh, they've made a miniature version of its uh, Soli sensor that's included on the top of the device. It allows users to skip songs, snooze alarms, and silence phone calls. How about that? Cool. Very cool. Hmm. Uh, that's pretty neat. So, uh, with our, uh, both with iOS and with Android, we are coming into uh, the age of being able to see our phones when we first wake up in the mornings. Now... How many people wake up and look at your phone and you just get blasted by bright white light when you're trying to read yeah. you know, news or updates or whatever? Uh, we are on the brink of integrating dark mode into our devices. So we will have uh, much darker themes rather than the white menus that we're used to. We'll have a lot of darker menus that will be easier on the eyes for when you're both waking up. <laughs> And when you're going to bed. Except for the um, Google Play Store, which has gone all in on the bright white thing. All in on the bright white. <laughs> well, so with uh, with the next version of Android, uh, number 10, uh, they will be 
Where, like my phone already had the the Note 10 already has some of the dark mode features built into it, but the next version of Android is supposed to embrace that in a much greater way because even the Gmail app will now have its own dark mode, which it, there are some people that are able to use it. If you have a Pixel phone, you've already got the Android 10 update. Um, they can use the dark mode feature, but I keep going to the App Store waiting for the update to come through, and it's not going to do it until I uh, until uh, Android. 10 rolls out and then i'll be able to enjoy that some more but i am really i'm big on that dark mode i don't like being blasted in the face with bright white light um i've tried to find ways to work around it on my own phone but it's good to see that that's coming to ios and it's being embraced by the android community and it's uh it's going to be good for everybody's eyes i know that for sure it is interesting uh i know you know that's google has worked hard on on integrating dark mode and I know, I mean, I have an Android phone, and some of the apps you can put on constant dark mode. Some of them, like Twitter, I know, for example, kind of uses the time of day. And I don't know if it's if, if you can set what the parameters are for it just kind of has its own kind of AI. But in the daytime, it uses a white theme, and at night, it uses the dark theme. And I don't know how it switches from one to the other, how it knows to, but it does. Uh, so that's an interesting can, thing. I think it does use usually, the time. You usually go in there and force those things. Like you can say, use dark mode all the time. And even on my new Note 10, there's a uh, there's a feature called wind down mode, and it will put the screen in grayscale mode at a set time every day, and it'll run through just like do not disturb. That way, it just it's a little bit easier on your eyes. Your phone looks very boring, but at least you'll put it down more because it's not so pretty and colorful. So the the Pixel 4 is also going to come with an advanced face unlock feature. And Google shared a picture, and you alluded to this, Jeremy, of all of the sensors included at the top of the device, uh, which makes it look kind of like, a, I don't know, like the weather center at the TV station. You see those guys in there with all those beeps and boops and things that they can, you know, all the buttons and everything. <laughs> you know, that or like a NASA station or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's going to it's gonna be using a, a face unlock feature and... Uh, Part of all of those sensors at the top, you mentioned the three uh, kind of square uh, white blocks at the top. Those three components work together to allow you to unlock the Pixel 4 with your face. And Google says the company's face unlock features implemented differently than others in the market, which, of course, if you if you own an iPhone, you know, it's a big deal, uh, the, the face recognition. One eight seven seven MPB ring is the number one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Vicky is next in Bay St. Louis. Vicky, good morning. Good morning. Go right I ahead. Have a question about the uh, charging. A while ago, I was I was listening, but I guess I got confused. Are you supposed to plug your phone in at night, whether it's empty or not, or, or you should wait till it gets a little lower and then plug in? No, you, you want to make sure you do not run your battery down to zero. Now, of course, you know, we, we all get caught up in the, the hustle and bustle of daily life, and it's easy to get distracted. I don't want anybody to freak out and think, oh, my gosh, I let my phone battery go down to zero. It's going to die. It will affect the health of the battery, but overall, I mean, it, it, you're going to eventually replace your phone and your battery anyways. Your lithium-ion batteries have a shelf life of like three to five years, most of them in the three range. So it's eventually going to start degrading anyways. But you can prevent that degradation 
on a on a more extreme level if you don't run your battery all the way down. But as far as charging your phone up at night, absolutely. Once you get down and it tells you that it needs to go on the charger, go ahead and put it on the charger. And you can leave it on the charger all night. It's not going to hurt it because what it does is once it charges up to a certain percentage, it begins to trickle the charge into the battery so that it doesn't damage it. Uh, and okay. the new iPhone will I, work that way as well. My question was, I would I would plug it in every night, no matter what the charge was, if it was 50% or 20%. Some people would, and somebody told me, oh, don't do that. You have to wait till it gets down because it won't. No, that, that's, that's incorrect. That, that's, okay. that's incorrect information. That may have worked with older batteries, but with our lithium-ion batteries, that's not the case. It can be 50%. It can be 90%. It's not going to hurt the battery. The phone is designed to throttle the, uh, the amperage as it comes in. If your battery is already charged up enough, it will just take it a, a little bit longer to get all the way to 100%, but it will not hurt it. Okay. And then the next question I have is about the OS 13. I'm kind of in computer purgatory right now. I have an <laughs> older Apple uh, and computers and laptops, and... Um, my old printers that still work work fine, but the, I need a new printer, but I can't make it work on my old computer. And if I get a new computer, then my old printers that do work probably won't work anymore. So what do I do? Well, depending on the age of your printer, depending on the age of the older printer, you may want to think about getting a new one if you do get a new computer. Um, I would say go with that system until one or the other dies, and then your hand will be forced in one way or another. Uh, but I would I would just um, I would operate with the idea that the old one should work on the new one if it's not too old. I know this uh, the printers depending on what you're trying to do uh, print wise um, and and how important the quality of that print is to you. I mean the the printers I mean there are printers at Walmart and Best Buy that started like thirty or forty dollars. They're super approachable, but that's on the low end. And so, I mean, if you're just if you're printing information out or you know things like that, um, then uh, then that's okay. But if you tr- if you're trying to do some more you know high quality picture printing and things like that, then that might not necessarily be the play. But if you're just having a printer so you can print things whenever you need to, they're super approachable, very affordable printers that you can buy. Absolutely. All right, Vicky, we appreciate it. Thanks for the call this morning. Stay in, uh, stay in touch with us and let us know how that works out for you. One eight seven seven MPB ring is the number. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. All right, fellas. Uh, before we go to break here, how about this one? Amazon is bringing a cash based checkout option. Amazon Pay Code is coming to the United States. Um, It's a new checkout option that will allow online shoppers to pay for Amazon.com purchases at one of 15,000 Western Union locations. Separately from this, Amazon said uh, that it's Amazon Cash Service, which lets you load cash into an Amazon account, is now offered at over 100,000 cash loading locations across the U.S. Hmm. Prior to uh, this week, pay code was available in 19 countries around the world, including emerging markets where paying with cash is more common and bank account penetration is lower than in the U.S. and Europe. The service itself launched earlier this year in partnership with Western Union and was initially uh, initially available in uh, 10 markets, Chile, uh, Chile, excuse me, uh, Colombia, 
Hong Kong, Indonesia, Kenya, Malaysia, Peru, Philippines, uh, Taiwan, and Thailand. It has since expanded to uh, a few more areas, including Costa Rica, uh, fairly close by. Instead of using uh, a bank card to pay for online purchases, shoppers can instead choose the pay code option at checkout on Amazon.com. They then receive a QR code that they could take to a Western Union to pay for the items they wanted to buy. Uh, at launch, Amazon said pay code customers had 48 hours to make that payment. Uh, with its U.S. launch, that time frame narrows to 24 hours. Interesting. The change is due to shorter delivery windows for U.S. customers versus cross-border customers, uh, Amazon says, and the impact to the company's delivery promises, which I assume part of that is the um, the two-day uh, Amazon Prime shipping. Uh, while the U.S. is a more developed market and less in need of supporting cash-based payments, cash still has a big foothold here. Amazon, citing uh, data from the Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, noted that 39% of in-person payments continue to be made using cash. How about that? Is that a surprise? Uh, uh, outside of this cool uh, this cool new option that you'll have eventually uh, for buying stuff off of Amazon, are you surprised that basically 40% of people still use cash to buy stuff? Very much so, but... I mean, my, my initial knee-jerk reaction is, yes, I'm very surprised. And then I start thinking about it, and there's, well, I mean, you know, the more you're seeing all these credit hacks and everything else in the news, it really doesn't surprise me that some folks may not quite be trusting the old plastic. Jeremy? Uh, I have uh, a lot of people that will come to me, uh, and I'll say, hey, go online, get this thing that you need to solve your problem. And they'll be like, well, I don't have a debit or a credit card. Can I get you to get it for me? And I'm like, Sure. Well, this is great because now I can be like, go to a Western Union and get yeah. it yourself. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but no, this is this is really smart because that is a, a huge limitation for a lot of people who just don't want a debit card or don't have a credit card or don't feel safe shopping online. This cuts out a lot of the risk involved in that. So I think this is uh, this is pretty cool. One more thing before this break that Amazon is doing. Uh, they've announced the immediate availability of Amazon Music HD which delivers millions of songs in ultra-high definition, the highest quality streaming audio available. Ultra-high definition. Uh, Amazon Music HD is available in the U.S., U.K., Germany, and Japan for $5 more per month than the firm's individual and family plans for Amazon Music. That's $12.99 per month for Amazon Prime subscribers and $14.99 per month for everyone else. The service provides over 50 million songs in high definition. It's 16-bit, um, essentially CD quality, and some millions of songs in ultra-high definition, a lossless format that's 24-bit. Uh, Amazon says that subscribers will always stream the highest quality version of any song that they listen to. The service has one important backer, artist Neil Young, who has been promoting lossless music for years while decrying the quality <laughs> of most services. Long may you run. Amazon Music is compatible with PC, Mac, Android, iOS, select Amazon Echo devices, Fire TV, Fire tablets. And Amazon says the service is also compatible with many third-party devices, including most products from Denon and Marantz. That's interesting. With... Uh, uh, let's see, also Polk Audio, Definitive Technologies, Sonos, uh, Macintosh, Sennheiser, and many more. 
So, uh, new users and existing Amazon Music subscribers can try Amazon Music HD for free for 90 days and uh, just go to the Amazon.com uh, website and you can follow links to get there. Here's a, a real important reminder. Higher quality audio means it's a much bigger file size. So you're going to have to watch your data packages. You want to make sure you keep an eye on how much data you're using mm -hmm. because the average, uh, let's say uh, the average song that gets streamed right now, somewhere between two and nine megabytes, your HD songs are going to come where come closer to about 50 megabytes. And an ultra HD is going to be over 150. So you're talking like the 4K equivalent of audio here coming over your device. So be watching your data. It is interesting as we take this break. I know I've called for it like nine times now. I really do want to get to it, though. But I just don't know that we have a wide-scale demand for this audience. Java is shaking his head no right now. Tidal, if you'll recall. Tidal was supposed to be the breakthrough service that was supposed to end all other, all other streaming services because this was supposed to be the best format and the best quality music you can listen to. And I think most people would rather save $5 a month and listen to a 90% quality song as opposed to pay five extra dollars a month for a 100% quality song when most headphones that people use, you can't tell the difference anyway. And they don't care to tell the difference. Uh, so I just, I don't necessarily know that there's a drive for this actual product out here. one mpb ring is the number. one 672 7464. This is Everyday Tech on MPB. We'll be right back. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome back. This is Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio with Jeremy and Wiltz. I am Jay. Thanks for listening on this Wednesday morning. You can call us up with your tech questions. one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 So we've talked about some interesting stuff today, especially a lot of things that uh, Amazon is doing this is something we talked about a couple of talked about a couple of months ago fellas but uh it looks like it is now uh coming to fruition uber is bringing its self-driving cars to dallas that's not a long way from mississippi y'all we're gonna have self-driving cars i know right this is this they, is they, they have not made the technology yet to avoid potholes okay <laughs> it's not gonna do it quite right <laughs> I, I, I did, right i mean they 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 <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, it would not be worth their investment to try that in Mississippi as of right now, or at least Jackson for for sure. Uh, but um, uh, call me, I mean, uh, Caveman Jones here, but to me it's fascinating that we're about to have self-driving cars like within a seven, eight-hour trip from Mississippi. That's pretty incre incredible, right? Yeah, Wilt is yeah. not sold at all. Really? Jeremy, yeah. are you with me at all? I'm just, I'm, I mean, you I know, doubt the car we, still. <laughs> we, we, I mean, as well, look, I don't necessarily trust guys. We have to, we have to wait for like version three to come out before we're no actually going to get in it. No you doubt. know, they got to get all the bugs worked out of it <laughs> hey, first. Look, no doubt. I mean, I don't necessarily trust the technology yet, and I don't want to be a self-driving car beta tester. But um, it, to me, it, I mean, we're eventually going to get there, and I just think it's cool. I mean, look, 
I think they're doing Dallas and uh, uh, Sydney, Australia. I think is one or the other. There's like only three or four places in the world they're try they're trying this, and you know to know that you're within you know yeah. like a less than a day's drive from being accessible to this stuff is pretty. I mean that's. I mean, this is what I consider some of the break tech, breakneck technology. That, and I don't mean, you know, it, moving at the speed of smell, <laughs> right? You know. <laughs> but, so, uh, uh, just for the record here, uh, the pothole thing is still a huge issue for driverless cars. Yeah. So they're they're working on the technology for that, but it's it's not quite there yet. I, I had to ask that one to Google. Do they see potholes? Well, they're working on it, but not quite yet. That seems like something that they could. Uh, I mean, with with all the motion sensor stuff, right? That's something they can they could get to fairly easily with some front mounted cameras and things like well, that. Well, have you seen because... some of the potholes? I mean, I got I saw one. One of my buddies posted online in his neighborhood. It's like <laughs> it's like he steps into it. It goes above his knee. Yeah, I mean that's just to they're gonna jump to a the car, car on one of those to to the car uh, or to to the. Uh, technology in the car a pothole just looks like tar or a black spot in the road Uh, so it's difficult for it to discern what's a pothole and what's just something that's already been paved over kind of some sort of depth perception situation Uh, there uh it says um our uber has said that uh they will begin the self-driving cars in dallas in november the company announced this uh, last, or excuse me, uh, yesterday. The vehicles will be operated by human drivers in downtown Dallas to start out collecting mapping data and capturing driving scenarios, which Uber's engineers will then reproduce in simulation. This doesn't mean Uber is planning to offer trips at its self-driving cars or even per- or even perform self-driving tests in Dallas. Uh, quoting him, the data we collect will inform our next steps. We may not look to test our self-driving systems in Dallas immediately following this first round of data gathering. Uh, While we are certainly excited by this possibility, we are also committed to ensuring that every mile we drive on public roads continues meaningfully to our development work. So there you go. You can't you can't ride yet. You can't ride in the self driving cars yet. But they're using Dallas as kind of like a guinea pig to um, figure out what they want to do. They're scanning it for potholes. Maybe maybe they first. really need to, in this regard. If this is their self induced beta test, they really do need to come to Jackson. Yeah, to exactly. try this thing. <laughs> I mean, they you cannot get, the, get more of a uh, or more of a obstacle course than Jackson, Mississippi. That's true. All right, Uber, take it down fortification. <laughs> yeah, try to go down. What, what is that? What is that road that uh, you go past the the Children's Museum, River Road, or whatever? A Riverside Drive. Uh, yeah, whatever that one is back there. I mean, yeah, that, that will you will go airborne. A oh, Mill Street. Yeah. You can feel the bumps in Mill Street on a globe. Anyway, but yeah, that's interesting though. But and so I mean, you can't. In November, you won't be able to hop in your car and drive over to Dallas and then take a, uh, you know, a, a self-driven car ride. But that's it seems like that's one of their, their pilot uh, cities for the program, and that eventually, when they do get this figured out, that'll be one of the places where they do it. Well, maybe before they do self-driving cars, maybe they should figure out a way to keep the self-checkouts even all up and running. I mean, they can't even keep the self-checkouts <laughs> up and running, so... I, I'm, 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 call me a skeptic. Maybe I'm from Missouri again on this one. You got to show me. 
So, <laughs> all right, uh, switching gears, Comcast <laughs> will give a free Ooh, everybody's favorite company. <laughs> right, Comcast is going to give a free streaming box to its internet-only subscribers. Um, it, it's going to help it uh, control the. TV watching experience, even without getting them to pay for cable. The streaming box called Xfinity Flex was introduced in March, and it initially cost $5 per month, which is a ludicrous cost when you consider that you yes. can get a Roku for $30 flat. I mean, it depends, I guess. It, okay, so... Did, I, you say, did you say free? That's five dollars a month. Oh, okay. Because I'm a ex- I only have the the internet, but right. Uh, well, this I'm thing cool. is this thing is five dollars a month. It depends on how much and what all you do online, and then it depends on the user interface. For me, Roku was much like Sling. The interface completely rubbed me the wrong way, and it was really? totally counterintuitive to me, and so I couldn't stick with it for very long, or I didn't want to stick with it for very long. And so okay. if Comcast has a streaming box that has a user interface that's similar to how their cable works, which, you know, cable and direct TV, if there's one thing those those systems do have, it's it's a, a long-tested and mostly well-working user interface. Maybe a little I, slow. I the processors, fact. the will, processors in those boxes are yeah. not great. It, it moves slow, but the actual interworking of it is pretty slick and pretty user friendly. Yeah, it's user friendly. It's, it's a good interface. And so, if if this, it would be worth it for me for five dollars a month. I mean, it, look, five dollars oh. a month versus a one time thirty dollar fee. I'm okay with that. The difference in that, unless I'm having this thing for like ten or twelve years, which I mean, we know that the technology is going to change a zillion times over between now and then. Because it's moving slowly at the speed of light. So this is just <laughs> this is just Comcast little set top box. So if you don't have a smart TV, it'll make your TV a little bit smarter. But some basic math here will tell you that at sixty dollars a year versus uh, forty fifty bucks for even one of the better quality sticks or boxes that you can get. It's not cost effective. So, I mean, you can get roped into that if you want to, but you can go buy your stick outright and then you don't pay for it monthly. And then let's say you own this thing for two years, that costs you $120. I'm sorry, that's not economical, and I don't want to do anything to help Comcast out. <laughs> no, tell us how you really feel. Because I agree right. with you. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Could you imagine having to call that customer service to try to get your streaming box working right? Are we just being My cynical box. today? I don't know what's going on today. <laughs> There's a little salt, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit of salt going a little bit around. Of salt. No, but you know, I mean, but this is everyday tech. I mean, this is some of the things. I'm sure some of our listeners have these same kind of frustrations. Absolutely, you know? we need to tell people that these things are terrible and not worth your money because there are better alternatives wow. that aren't owned Ooh, he by. He all the way there, didn't he? After all, I, I mean, I just spent five minutes talking about how, depending on what your needs are, it could be worth it. And Jeremy's like. No, no, <laughs> stupid. This is a dumb idea. <laughs> All right, let's go to the phones. One eight seven seven MPB ring. One eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Mac is in Jackson. Mac, good morning. Hey, good morning, you guys. How are you doing? Excellent. Wonderful. Thanks for calling. Good. I'm kind of new, and as I was uh, explaining to your producer, you all may have discussed this already. I have a computer that I have Windows Seven on, and so my question is. I'm getting a message from 
uh, the Wendell's people saying, hey, uh, we're going to stop supporting that in, I think they said January. Yeah, January 14th, I believe. Right, something like that. So my question is, uh, do I go get 10? Is there something later and greater than 10? And then my second question is, I use Kaspersky for my protection. Is there something better than Kaspersky that I might want to use with the windows? Those are my two questions. All right. So uh, when it comes to uh, Microsoft not supporting the operating system, that is totally true. Uh, it's time to jump ship to Windows 10. And if you have a valid Windows 7 key and a Windows 10 installation disk, you can use that Windows 7 key to activate Windows 10. So you don't necessarily have to run out and buy a new computer. You just need to upgrade the software. Having said right. that, there are some older machines that do not support Windows 10 that Windows 7 did run on. But they are few and far between, but I have run into them. As far as uh, something better than Windows 10, oh, that's a tough one. Um, Windows 10 uh, has had its ups and downs this year as they roll out new updates for it and they claim there's new interfaces that nobody wants or needs coming. Um, <laughs> there's not going to be anything later and greater that's going to run on everyday hardware other than Linux. A little but, salty. Um, a little bit. A little you know, salty. Always. Always. I mean, these updates, <laughs> they break stuff every day, you guys. It's, I mean, yeah. I have so many people come in and go, oh, I clicked update last night and now I can't boot my computer. It happens yeah. so much. So um, yeah, as far that. as greater than Windows 10, I, I wish. Uh, Linux is a lot more stable, but um, it's not as uh, widely used or, or compatible, although I'll probably get some calls on that one. What do you mean Linux don't support everything under the sun? Um, if you wanted to try Linux, now is a good time for it because uh, the interfaces really are about neck and neck with your uh, current operating systems. And as far as support for things goes, unless you're gaming, you can usually find some kind of open soft, open source software that will run on Linux if you're tired of the Windows experience. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm no, I'm not tired of the Windows experience. I was just wondering, like I said, did they have something later and greater than 7? And I did know about 10, but I've always heard, you know, there were bugs that still needed to be worked out. But anyway, There will I'm always okay be 10. bugs, no matter yeah, what the exactly. software is. There will always be bugs. Every time they update it, just expect there's more bugs coming. Uh, exactly. Also, you asked about Kaspersky. Uh, Kaspersky is decent virus protection software. It's not my favorite simply because a lot of virus protection these days, it includes lots of bells and whistles that nobody wants or needs. Uh, so we recommend Malwarebytes because it's very contained. It doesn't have any extra nonsense that they want to add onto your PC. It's very uh, memory light. Uh, it's a great program, and it's also one of the fastest scanning programs that I've ever used, and I do highly recommend it. All right, man. We appreciate the call, Mac, and uh, uh, keep in touch with us. Um, interesting stuff right there. Yeah. All right, so just a couple minutes left in the show here, and Wiltz, you and I were talking right before the show. Mm -hmm. I've got a, a a story here that it, it's it's not really a, a it's an article written here. It's not really news or anything like that. But it comes from an interesting perspective. Avengers Endgame has recently taken over the spot of the top grossing film in motion picture history no very very recently right uh, and it took the spot from avatar uh, which was number one before that uh, avatar was released in 2009 and so the author of this piece here which was on cnbc written by sarah witten she was like and eh, not really a fair comparison economically to compare the 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 gross 
re- uh, revenue generated by a 2019 film with one from 2009. So right, what she yeah. did Money's is a little different. She, right. She took all of the top grossing films in in history and adjusted them all for inflation and then had a top 10 grossing films list of all time. So uh, Java and Wilts, you have a crack at what's number one? You have an idea of what might be the top grossing film adjusted for inflation of all time? I know. Time. Already. Well, okay. It's Gone with the Wind. He nailed that, it. That, that was my other one because I, I originally went Casablanca. I went Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And that was and that was the one I couldn't get out. I was gonna I was gonna do the whole break. Did time, you see the story? Well, no, just for the time. I, it's, it's, <laughs> but it's been on. It's been done a bunch of times. Like when Avatar came out, and it you know trumped everything. That yeah. was like for inflation, Gone with the Wind. Because just think about it. How many like? Well, you could basically judge this by how many tickets yeah. each movie sold. That movie I mean, was humongous. Gone with the Wind, which was released in 1939. Sold 201 million tickets. Now, think about the U.S. population at that time. And then in 1939, I don't know where we were economically, but it's not like it is now. Yeah, dollar went a dollar. 201 million tickets for one movie and they were probably in 1939 like a, is like a quarter or, or astronomical. Cents. <laughs> yeah. In uh, today's, um, in uh, adjusted for today's economy, it's a $1.8 billion movie. <laughs> Nearly a $2 billion movie. Well, frankly, my dear, I do <laughs> give a dang. Star Wars is number two. Uh, released but always in, number one to me. Right. It released in 1977. It sold 178 million tickets, $1.6 billion, The Sound of Music, and uh, released in 1965 as third. Uh, fourth is E.T., The Extraterrestrial, 1982. Uh, in fifth is Titanic, 1997. Uh, number six, The Ten Commandments from 1956. Number seven, Jaws from 1975. Dum, 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 number eight, Dr. Zhivago, 1965. Number nine, The Exorcist from 1973. And number 10, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs from 1937. How about that? Whoa, pretty cool. It is a pretty interesting list. Yeah. And you one of, you said you guessed a Harry Potter film or five. Yeah. And I'm like, I guess not. They're not in there. So, And no Smoking the Bandits either, which disappointed me. Nor any Cannonball Runs. All right. So for, <laughs> for Jeremy and Wilts and Java, I'm Jay. Thanks so much for listening this morning to Everyday Tech. Stay tuned. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart is coming up next on MPB Think Radio.